When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Marindo Podcast, hosted by me, Brenda Gonzalez, a fitness coach, political nerd, and nonprofit capacity builder, and me, Delcy Sandoval, a Guatemalan American licensed therapist and passionate creativity advocate. Together, we're here to uplift our community through powerful conversations with change makers, creatives, and healers. Each week on the pod, we talk politics, culture, and personal development. Listeners call Tamarindo the advocacy and self love podcast. Vamonos! Let's start the show. Hello, hello, Tamarindo listeners. Hi, Delcy. Hi, Brenda. Hi, Tamarindo listeners. It's so good to be back here for y'all. So today, let me tell you who we have. Today, we have law professor and immigration lawyer, Cesar Cuauhtémoc Garcia Hernández. And he's here to talk about his forthcoming book, Welcome the Wretched in Defense of the Criminal Alien. In this book, he makes a powerful case for separating immigration law from criminal law and abolishing the so-called quote-unquote, immigration crimes, and treating migrants who have been accused of or convicted of crimes the way we treat residents and citizens. Let me tell you a little bit more about Cesar Cuauhtémoc Garcia Hernández. <laughs> Besides having a, a really long name, um, he is the Gregory H. Williams Chair in Civil Rights and Civil Liberties at The Ohio State University Moritz College of Law, and he's appeared on, in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, NPR, The Guardian, and today, Tamarindo. So that's who we have today, but before we get into all that, Delcy, ¿qué pasa? What is on your mind? What, what, ¿qué pasa contigo? Temperature check. Oh man, you know what? It's kind of a bittersweet week because there's so much going on on the news as as pe if people are following with what's going on with Texas and some of the, the border policies and the federal government versus what the governor is doing and so on. And for me, it's always a very difficult time when there are policies or conversations that are happening that really include or are centered upon our community. Um, I, I think it's always a time that where I'm very pensive and I'm worried and it makes me feel like almost this sense of uh, lack of control where I'm like, oh my God, I feel like I need to read more and I need to understand more so that I can do something and get involved in that, that feeling of pressure kind of sometimes turns into anxiety, right? So it's been that kind of week, but at the same time, it's been, it's been the kind of week where I've been trying to get out of my bubble and have more social interaction. And I don't know about you, Brenda, but for me, sometimes I get so in the zone with my projects and the things that I'm doing that I realize like I've been alone for an entire week with my computer. Like, maybe I need to get out into the world and have communion with somebody. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I feel you. I feel like we're on the same wavelength. And um, in fact, totally, completely as what we're thinking about. And just this, if y'all are listening, and especially if you're, once you read the book that we're going to talk about today, and, and sometimes it could be very overwhelming, very consuming. And if, and we can feel a little bit powerless because we're up against a whole lot. And I think what I want to say, and maybe you agree with this, Delcy, is that like we, it's okay to acknowledge that we are up against a whole lot. And it's okay to acknowledge that we might feel a little bit powerless and a little bit of anxiety, because let me tell you, it's kind of scary out there. It, it almost feels like to not think that the world is in crisis is to be in a little bit of a delusion, you know? Yeah. So, so uh, I, I think it's totally uh, appropriate to feel a little bit of of that dread, to be honest, but it's great that you are also acknowledging, okay, but I, I need to find the release and, and be with community and connect with others. So I, I, I want to, I take that from what you're sharing. 
Yeah, definitely. And and I think even in these conversations with you, Brenda, like being able to connect with another person that sort of feels strong and empowered and seeing you create and do so much, like there, it, it helps me to balance those feelings. Like, yes, we're up against a lot, but look at the talent that we have and look at the people that we have that are able to accomplish and do and be. And, um, and so that, that, uh, being able to feel like there's hope by being connected to other people, I think is is what I'm trying to do this week. Y tú, ¿qué pasa for you? Yeah, well, um, speaking of like being inspired by others, first of all, right back at you, definitely inspired by, by your work and, and so happy to, to be uh, working together on this project with you. So, but thinking about like who's inspiring me, I mean, uh, I want to talk about a few things that are happening out in the in the in the world in pop culture. Number one is that America Ferrera got an Oscar nomination. Yay. Yes, matraca to America. She's the first ever Honduran American to be nominated for any Oscar category. And I am just so delighted to see her get her flowers because she has had such a such an incredible career. I mean, I think real women have, have curves is just a masterpiece. It is such such a great film, a great piece of art. And and also if people follow America. I mean, she is someone that is so comfortable in her skin, so powerful, powerful in her Latinidad, always lifting others up with her platform and is very authentic about how that hasn't always been easy. So I am just so delighted to see America get her flowers and get this Oscar nom and hopefully an Oscar win. Yes, I cannot wait. And I think uh, also the scene that that propelled her to this place, right, is a scene about femininity and um, in general, some of the trials that that people who identify this way have been through. And I think that's such a beautiful thing for it to be connected to this scene, right, for for her to finally get her moment connected to such a beautiful monologue, I think is really important. And I do have to say that Real Women Have Curves was the first time I ever saw somebody that had my body type on TV or, you know, in media in general. So it, she has forever stayed with me as a result of that film. Yes. I mean, oh my gosh, just a little bit more about that film. I mean, she was so empowered as in that film. I mean, she's struggling with something that many Latinas can identify with. One is, of course, the societal pressure to look like a Barbie doll, which it, it will never going to look like a Barbie doll. But also, I mean, trying to wrestle with family about leaving home and, and, and pursuing something bigger. And, and but I think the other thing that I really found powerful from that movie is when she's just says, hey, I'm going to have sex. And she she's ready with her condom and she's and it's no there's no shame around it. I love that movie. It is it is just amazing. Yes, yes, Matraca to, to America. But I, I also want to briefly talk about the um, what this moment of the Oscar nominations has sparked, because while we are so excited for for America, there's also been a lot of a, this conversation about Greta Gerwig not getting an um, Oscar nomination for Best Director for this landmark film that was Barbie, and it's it's just a shame. I mean, it's it's um it's sad because it sort of distracts from the sub celebration that we're all, all having for America because we're at the same time saying, "What the hell? <laughs> what the heck? Why are you not nominating a woman who has created a, an amazing film that made this all possible?" So it's it's that. But one more little rant that I have is that the other thing that bothers me a tiny bit is that we can hold multitudes. I really have trouble with people feeling like for if we express any sort of outrage for what I feel is is Greta getting you know getting uh, snubbed for for her great work that if I express that sort of outrage somehow I am also not capable to hold in my mind um, sympathy for people and women in Gaza I could do both <laughs> and it's possible to to do both and I really an early throw in la basura sort of like this righteousness that I sometimes see in social media that is just toxic and I want to get rid of. So that's my little mini rant. Yeah. I mean, I think there are so many emotions, right? So many emotions that people feel um, about what our priorities should be as a unified community um, that I that I understand where some of those feelings come from. But I also feel like where these these shows and, and the authenticity with which we come to 
to media in general means that it's a reflection of our real lives and our day-to-day, really a, a true reflection of what we live on a daily basis. And there's so much complexity to being a person that's in the United States right now. Um, and so sometimes when people have commentary about like what one is choosing to discuss versus other topics that might seem more pressing, um, I, I'd like them to hold in in, in their minds and hearts, this idea that we're trying to present a holistic view of your experience in this moment. And sometimes that means talking about things like pop culture. Um, and with Greta, you know, such a long history for me of being inspired by Francis Ha as a as somebody who moved to New York City and you know you give I watched over and over again movie. such a reflection of kind of um being very confused and lost and not really knowing or being ready for growth and then seeing it happen and then also little women whoa with little women I have to say I was really moved by the mood of that film and the way she was able to take such a classic that I had read um, and turn it into something that felt so contemporary. And so um, just matracas all around to Greta. And um, and I am sad to see that that she was not included in that list. Yes, yes. And lastly, I will one more thing about this movie because it's it, I love Barbie so much. I do think that Ken deserves this nomination. He truly did such a great job with his performance. It, it, you can't deny that. <laughs> yeah, honestly, super funny. I didn't see it coming. A really um, warm, but also a thoughtful kind of performance. And um, I, I don't know if you saw some of the commentary that came um, regarding like the, some of the backlash that he received when he took on this role and, and to now have this be a moment that, that honors this risk that he took, I think is really awesome and, and cool. So let's see what happens. Yes, matraca to Eva Mendes for, for, <laughs> for scoring that guy. Bueno, well, um, something else that's been consuming my my brain, <laughs> space in my brain, is the, the fact that Los Angeles Times just recently did a, a bunch of layoffs and this impacted some incredible Latinas, including Jean Guerrero, who is the only Latina columnist for the opinion section in a city that's more than half Latino, as she wrote in the caption of her post announcing that she was laid off. And um, the layoffs also impacted Delos, which is a, you know, just released, you know, it's less than a year old, I believe, uh, vertical about our community. As uh, Amigi of the pod, Ingrid Cruz said, this vertical is what I wish existed when I was growing up. Many folks were laid off there as well. And it's just a, a real sad moment for media to think that it's okay to dispose of, of, Latino journalists when we are the majority, basically the majority of the state, definitely the majority of the city. It is just a sad moment. So just want to yeah. say more and more in that loss. I really appreciate you bringing this up because there's so much to say here, right? For one, we're coming into an election year and we are going to need these perspectives from journalists, from BIPOC communities, uh, journalists that come from various backgrounds. This is what we need. And Delos was sort of the hub. We were waiting to see what happens during this, this moment for Delos and to see so many incredible, talented people be let go um, was really heartbreaking. But I do want to also say that Delos is not over. And it's really important for us to say that because the support is necessary right now. Go reading, subscribing, sharing, making sure that we're supporting not just Delos, but the next steps for some of these journalists as we follow them in their career, um, supporting those ventures to keep to keep our voices loud and heard and um, and acknowledged. Definitely hit subscribe on Delos, share, the, share those stories. Absolutely, you're absolutely right, Delcy. So one last thing that's been on my mind is that there was a recent article that said teen birth rates in Texas rose for the first time in 15 years, according to a new study. And we will link this article in the show notes so you can read a little bit more about this study. But here's a quote from this article. The study says that Numbers suggest that while other racial and ethnic groups of women may have been affected by the state's abortion ban, Hispanic women face more challenges in getting reproductive care, including abortions. So this 
this spike in this um, teen birth rates, of course, aligns with the same time that there's been very restrictive abortion laws in the state of Texas. So it's no wonder that we have these sorts of results. A little bit more why this is, in, in, in Texas, it's very dangerous to be a Latina in Texas. One, because of these very restrictive abortion laws, but also in Texas, more, more Latinos are um, unable to access health insurance. They, they have all these barriers to accessing, accessing health care that it's no surprise that we have these sorts of results. And I want to talk about this briefly. The reason I bring it up is that, as you'll hear in the interview, look, things can be horrible. And you're right, we're in an election year. And one thing that's happening that I find very dangerous is that, look, I don't love Biden. We don't have to love Biden. But what he represents is bringing in people that are at least we can hold their feet to the fire. You know, the, I want to at least have some feet to hold to the fire. If we allow the other side to win, we're going to get more laws like what's happening in Texas. We're going to get the rollback of our of abortion care throughout the country. We've seen it happen. We've seen the legacy of what Trump's appointments in, in the judicial system has resulted. I mean, it's just the the consequences are just too much and for us to not be engaged and not be involved and not be um, doing whatever we can to ensure that Trump doesn't get elected. And if that means reelecting Biden, who we don't maybe love, then that's what it means, because I think there's just too much at stake right now. And um, I just want to also say that our words matter. So I want people to be very thoughtful in how they engage this year, because what I want to do is I want to inspire people to be involved. This stuff is scary and I don't want to scare and turn you off. But what I what we can't afford to do is to disengage. So I want the listeners to hear this. If you are pissed off at Biden, as many of us are, and, and, and you're disappointed you can do it in a way, and, and, and it's okay to be critical, but also be mindful of how can we inspire action? How can we think about the issues? How do we lift up what's at stake? How do we think about what's happening in local elections? Because maybe you're not thrilled about voting for president, but what's happening down the ballot? So all of those things I want you all to just consider. I'm not going to go into too much detail here, but just something to think about. Yeah. And I do want to say, you know, I, in some of my personal conversations with friends and family, when it comes around election time, there there is a subset of the population that is really into it and wants to know as much as they can. Right. And then there's a subset of population that feels very overwhelmed by by some of the the conversations and the intensity that it feels like these conversations um, exist within. But I, I want to say to to you, if you're somebody that's like, well, this is not for me, Um Think about the community organizations around you that are for you, right? Because there are a lot of community organizations that work really hard to do some of this big work that might feel overwhelming to us. Um, so whatever you can do to be aware of or support community organizations that are doing things, even if they're having a parade and you want to go and be a part of it, that's one quick way to to foster community and be a part of a bigger change for, for folks that um, maybe are feeling like, yeah, I don't really know where to even begin here. I think that's a great, that's such a great tip because if you, it makes your stomach turn, turn to think about like giving money to a candidate, don't do that. You could definitely give to a, an organization, give to the causes that matter. Just take a moment to think about the issues that matter to you. And I know one issue that really matters to a lot of our listeners is immigration. That's why we're so excited to, to have Cesar Cuatemo Garcia Hernandez. He's going to talk about his book. Uh, I really recommend the book. It is it is a great read. One, because I, I think he, he writes in a way that I really enjoy. I mean, this is heavy, heavy shit, but he there's even a little bit of humor in the way that he writes. I can He's a college professor. I can imagine being in his classroom and being totally captivated with the way he explains the history of our immigration system and what aspects of it need to absolutely go in la basura. So we're going to hear all about that right now.
this is so great. So great to connect with you. So we're going to talk about your book. It's called Welcome the Wretched in Defense of the Criminal Alien, which, by the way, I think is a very provocative name because I, when I first got the email, I was like, wait a minute. Oh, OK. I get it. I get it. No, yes, we definitely do want to want to talk to Cesar. So maybe just real quick, give us like what is the, the thesis? What are you arguing in this book? Yeah, I'm basically making uh, calling out the the uh, common refrain that Republicans and Democrats can never agree on anything when it comes to immigration law. When in reality, uh, for several decades now, they've, they've both parties have have joined forces in agreement that any basically any run in with the criminal legal system is one too many, and that ought to be uh, reason enough. That is reason enough uh, for those folks uh, who 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 who, who uh, commit crimes. Um, pretty much of any kind to become the focus of immigration uh, uh, law enforcement for for imprisonment and deportation. And that's not the way that uh, immigration law worked for most of the history of the United States. And looking forward, I'm hopeful that that won't be the way. Yes, yes. Thank you. Now, as as you know, you're a fan of the, of Tamarindo, so you know that we put things in la basura, right? And I think a big part of this book is talking about the legacy of Senator Coleman Blisi and why that legacy needs to go in la basura. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so Coleman Blisi is a, a, a white supremacist, white supremacist from the, the height of South Carolina politics in the era of the Jim Crow South. Um, this is a guy who, who really made his name by glorifying, celebrating uh, lynching. Um, but he wasn't um, he wasn't a, 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 a one hit wonder when it came to his racism. He was he was he was pretty evenly uh, 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 healed. Um, he was willing to attack um, uh, Catholics and Cubans and migrants from Europe um, uh, who he was afraid were going to come to the United States in the aftermath of World War One, and uh, and and as a result, he really uh, develops his political uh, uh, fortune on the backs of the xenophobic, nativist, uh, anti-migrant, racist campaigns. And eventually, it leads him to the U.S. Senate, and there he joins forces with other anti-immigrant uh, legislate le- legislators who, for years, have been trying to 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 limit how many people could come to the United States. And they'd had some success in the early 1920s when it came to folks from Southern and Eastern Europe, but they had not been able to get the votes to target Mexicans. And so they really wanted to target Mexicans uh, specifically and with, with with the help of, of Coleman, uh, Senator Coleman Blease, um, they were finally able to push through Congress a bill that would target Mexicans, but it wouldn't do it do it in in, in the way that, that that they'd gone after the Europeans, Southern and Eastern Europeans. Instead, with Mexicans, um, you know, there were agricultural industry uh, uh, in business interests that were hugely you know interested in making sure that they kept they kept Mexicans coming um, every year to to help with 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 picking their crops, right? Um, and and so what these uh, members of Congress did was they said, okay, look, we're gonna we're not gonna focus on on you know immigration laws and say who can come in and who can't, we're just going to criminalize uh, people who come into the United States without the government's permission. So 1929, Belize's bill uh, becomes law, and it's the first time that um, uh, entering the United States without the federal government's permission becomes uh, a, a federal crime, and that law remains on the books in basically the same force uh, form uh, almost a century later. Yeah, so the legacy of this man is alive and well, and that's that's sort of what you're calling attention to in this book, is that we need that, that legacy to go in la basura. Something else that I think is striking that I learned in this book, now that I'm going to think about every time I fly into LaGuardia in, in New York, is that it, it was LaGuardia who was like, how do we get them Mexicans, right? And, and was able to get least to help out with that. Yeah, Fiorello LaGuardia was like was 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 he was not a fan of Mexicans in particular. He wanted to make sure that if we're going to go after the southern and eastern Europeans, we're also going after the Mexicans. And so he was he was part of that uh that process. Yeah, yeah, something that was news to me. Now, um you give many examples of how judges are unable to see the real-world consequences of, of immigration law. There's many examples in the book where you where you Cite judges that are like, oh no, we're not going to put them in jail. We're just going to deport them, as if as if deporting people is not a punishment. When of course it is. And you also argue that judges have an important role in taking criminality out of the immigrate out of immigration matters. Can you say a little bit more about that? The role of judges. 
Yeah, so judges obviously have an enormous uh, uh, role when it comes to deciding who's going to spend time in jail, who's not, and who's going to get deported, and 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 who's not. Right? And one of the things that we're seeing in recent years is that you know activists and migrants and 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 and, and lawyers are working together um, to try to 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 uh, push back against um, this tendency that we've seen over the last three presidential administrations to really use the power of federal criminal proceedings to uh, to 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 t- go uh, take a really harsh stance toward migrants. And that's why we see courthouses along the southwestern United States that are constantly being filled with migrants who are just being caught by the Border Patrol and being prosecuted for one of these crimes that, you know, police inaugurated back in 1920 called now we call them illegal entry and, and another one's called illegal reentry. And those judges, you know, get the opportunity because some creative lawyers pairing up with advocacy groups and pairing up some courageous migrants are saying, look, you know, these 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 laws were designed from the very beginning in a racist manner. They were designed specifically to go after Mexicans. So that's more or less what's still happening today. Even if the, the targets are sometimes broader to other folks from primarily from Latin America. Um, but uh, the judges, judges so far have been pretty reluctant um, to to go along with that, saying taking the position that it's possible for Congress to sort of to 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 sanitize an earlier version of, of Congress's um, uh, racist actions um, simply because the times change. But. The law has never changed, right? And my point is, look, if these judges are, are having have the opportunity to to weigh in on the racist origins and the racially disparate impact that these laws are having today, then they need to take a realistic approach and not just sort of sanitize it um, because uh, something that uh, happened in the 1920s may disturb us. But that's been a century ago, and we can sort of for, for, forgive and forget those racist origins because the years have gone have gone by, and you know no one had bothered to raise to to raise this this concern until until fairly recently. Yeah. Now, um, I I think you you demonstrate in the book how in the last you know twenty years it, it's really accelerated. You know the, the the number of deportations, the way we're we're um, continuing to apply this 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 racist law and the legacy of, of this racist law. But um, how has Trump's legacy and and his role in appointing judges make made crimin- getting criminality out of the immigration matters even more difficult? What has been his legacy? And what is at stake with him potentially gaining power again? Donald Trump was fabulously successful at reshaping the federal court system by 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 appointing judges that were to his liking um, and that were going to have this really nativist bent to their ideological approach to the role that judges uh, the, uh, play in 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 uh, in, in federal uh, uh, courts around the United States, and so you know, kudos to him. He he said, "I'll go," and he accomplished that. Um, as much as I despise the 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 the, the outcomes, he he did exactly what he he promised uh, to do, and as a result, it does mean that any efforts to use the courts to adopt more migrant friendly. Uh, interpretations of law are uphill uh, climbs. And the reality is that with law, you know, one of the things that lawyers do, one of the things that I, I train my students to do is to think about the way that you can exploit ambiguity in the law or silence in the law in favor of your clients, right? And so in favor of, of, of immigrants. But when we're dealing with um, the judiciary as it currently exists, especially as we rise up the ranks um, to the federal appellate courts and obviously to the U.S. Supreme Court, you know, there we, we do see that the that the courts are a tough uh, uh, road to, to hoe because of the fact that uh, the Trump administration was so, so successful in, in making sure um, that there are few voices um, present on those courts um, that are going to take a sympathetic ear towards um, any pleas that, that migrants bring to them. Yeah, so that that speaks to the legacy of his presidency. What about if he takes power of get, again? Can he cement this further? What's that stake? Yeah, I think I think the the opportunity is just um, uh, greater, right? Obviously, there will be some more 
uh, uh, changes and 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 who's who who's filling those positions of 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 judges. You know, it's 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 super important. Um, not only what the law says, but who it is, who the people are, who are interpreting the law and applying the law, and that's what judges uh, do. But I think you know more 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 dangerous um, is, and I'm certainly no no apologist for for Joe Biden or Barack Obama, or really any Democrat. But you know, I th- I do think that there is a particular form of dangerousness that 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 Trump. Uh, presents if he's if he if he's allowed to return to the White House for a second term, his 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 main immigration policy advisor is the guy named Stephen Miller. That guy's he's that guy is is just single-minded in his in his um uh interest in making life miserable for 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 migrants. Um, and he's really quite good at doing that, and now has four years of experience figuring out how to pull those levers within the enormous federal bureaucracy. Um, he's got he's got he's had time to um, identify the people who he can trust, like the, the true believers who are gonna who aren't going to slow things down, who aren't gonna uh, raise pesky annoying questions, um, and who aren't gonna become problems uh, for for he and his his boss, um, um, uh, Donald Trump, to um uh to 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 really enact the a, a more vile form of the immigration policies that um became normal under his administration and so i think yeah you know, they, they've they're on the campaign trail promising this and i think um we should take them seriously yeah and of course i mean yes like you mentioned you know no apologies for you know, Democrats have been um, very much, as you say, there's kind of unity here in this, like this messaging of like, oh yeah, we got to keep the criminals out. And what you're saying here is that let's look at how we're defining criminals and why. That is what you're saying here. But um, I mean, what opportunities do exist if we continue with Biden and and Democrats? You know, are there more opportunities to to um, maybe? change that legacy of Senator Blisi? Like, what, what are the consequences? What are the yeah. opportunities? Look, I think I think the uh, um, uh, listeners need to be really um, attentive to what the Biden administration is doing when it comes to judges, not just the Supreme Court just, justices that everyone hears about and gets blasted across all the news. Um, they're important, but they're only nine people, right? The federal court system is way bigger than that. Um, the folks who sit on federal uh, federal courts at every level are really important. But so are immigration judges. You know, there are immigration judges in immigration courts around the country right now that deny like 90 percent or more of the asylum applications that they hear. Right. That's just I mean, that's not somebody who's taking seriously the the claims that are being made. That's somebody who's just making decisions out of a rote, you know, habit. Um, uh, and. And 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 I think and, and that's the kind of um, decision maker that that most people, most of us ignore, right? We it, it doesn't come up in, in in news cycles. It doesn't come up in conversations. And I think that 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 means that the Biden administration has not had the pressure, not had put had its feet to the fire when it comes to appointing folks who are really going to take um, who have uh, uh, experiences within in, in immigrant communities, who who have experiences um, in which the folks who are the target of immigration law enforcement. They're also the people that they call their parents, the people they call their siblings, their spouses, their children, right? Their their grandparents, their neighbors. Um, and I think that 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 is a, a supremely important a part of, of of one lever that folks can push pull pull with um, with the Biden administration. Um, but there's also um, much to be done when it comes to the way that the White House directs the work that the uh, agencies like Immigration and Customs Enforcement, ICE, and the Border Patrol down along the southwestern uh, border are. Are doing because those are agencies that are, uh, whose whose day to day job is 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 quite often dictated by policies, and those policies change from administration to administration. The reality is, Congress gives these agencies billions of dollars every year, but even that is not enough for them to do everything that they want to do. And so, it's up to the 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 leaders of those uh, those agencies to decide. How are we going to focus our resources? And you know, one of the things that I'd like to see is for them to focus their resources on supporting migrants who are going through these high stakes, high stress, uh, very complicated immigration legal processes, rather than f- use those dollars uh, to figure out, you know, how how can we arrest more people, how can we jail more people, and how can we deport more people? All of which are just the various forms of of, of violence. And I like to see that money get spent in a more productive way. 
Yeah, 100%, 100%. Um, a couple more things I want to say about the book. One is this is heavy stuff, right? This is this is really heavy stuff and looking at the history um, and, the, and the very racist history that's intertwined with every, every law that's ever been in the books, I think, in the U.S. in, in early days especially. So I want to know, how do you practice self-care and, and take a break from this stuff? Uh, I live in Colorado and I spend a whole lot of time in the mountains enjoying uh you know the the this wonderful world that we've been uh, uh given i wrote most of the book while i was living in in, in mexico in la ciudad de mexico um and you know enjoying sort of the the life and the 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 vitality of that megalopolis um in in all of its chaos um and all of its contradictions um and 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 and, and that's because you know uh, fundamentally i love the human experience right i love the complexity i love the back and forthness that comes with every single human life. And it, it's that that gives me the energy to do the work that that I do, even when it means, you know, focusing on trying to advocate on behalf of the folks who are the most easy uh, or among the easiest to 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 demonize and, and, and vilify, because when you're engaged in that work, it's really uh, quite common you know, to run up against brick walls. And so taking a fresh air when you're on the top of a mountain in the in the Rockies, right? When you're looking at uh at the, the snow covered peaks or or when, you know, you're you're hanging out in in in, in the Socalo and just sort of look, admiring the, the the sounds and the and the energy of, of of that city and all of the humanity that's teeming through it just like it has for, for centuries. You know, that's sort of the the inspiration that I get to to do the work that I do. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And I also really en I enjoy reading this book because it is also, um, I think you, you take great care of giving us personal stories, like actual concrete fa you know, faces and history of the real life people that these laws impact. And I just want to applaud you for, for including that in the way that you write this book. It is also it's very accessible in terms of like I get it. Like, this is heavy, heavy stuff. But I think you you write it in such a way that I can imagine you speaking to your students and them just being totally captivated. So I just want to thank you for for writing this. And what do you hope people take away from this book? Yeah, my my my, my most basic hope is the idea that just because we do things now it doesn't mean we have to always do things this way. Right? It's it's easy to watch the political dysfunction in Washington and think it's absolutely uh, beyond repair. But the reality is that we've been in difficult moments as a political community in the past. Right? I talk about the Civil War. I talk about the fact that you know the soldiers who literally tried to destroy the very nation um, uh, were, then, were then pardoned. Right? I talk about how uh, Robert E. Lee, who was who 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 was the leader of the Confederate forces, eventually, you know, Congress takes up his uh, the question of his U.S. citizenship, and decides. Actually, this is actually in the 1970s, not in the 1870s, but in the 1970s, decides he ought to have his U.S. citizenship restored. Right, and 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 so for me, it's like this notion that. That, that that immigration is constantly be law immigration law is constantly being reimagined um citizenship is, is constantly being reimagined and so if we do not uh, uh like the current state then we have to be willing to reimagine something else because i assure you that the stephen millers and the donald trumps of the world they are doing exactly that um and without some countervailing force right that takes a more welcoming approach to migrants that welcomes all of the migrants who are parts of our families, parts of our neighborhoods, um, uh, um, with their warts and all, um, then the version um, of immigration law and policy that's going to win out is that uh, Stephen Miller and Donald Trump driven uh, version. And that's one that um, yeah, I, for one, uh, find to be pretty, pretty problematic. Yes, none of that. Well, thank you again for speaking to us about this book. Um, folks can pick it up. Where can where can they get it? Pretty much anywhere books are yeah. available, right? Yeah, so it's a, it's out uh, um, on January 30th and um, available pretty much anywhere where books are sold. Amazon, bookshop.org, which supports independent bookstores, or my website, ccgarciahernandez.com.
All right, y'all, we are back. We are back for our closing segment of this podcast. So, um, Delcy, I want to know what gets your matraca? What are you, what is giving you joy? What are you celebrating? Yeah. You know, I want to say, so as, as a few of you know, I'm Guatemalan American and we have some traditions that sometimes feel pretty scary or intense to people who are not part of the community. So it, one thing we do is we have these procesiones and there are these processions we have like, you know, it's a very religious kind of cultural event. And typically this takes place in the country of origin. But recently uh, my family invited me to one that took place on the streets of LA. <laughs> and I have to say, I was sure how that was going to go, how the community that was surrounding was going to take this because it, it is very intense. Um, but I have to say, when we were walking down the street, what I noticed was a lot of people that were not from the Guatemalan community coming out onto their balconies and cheering us on. There were lots of people coming out and taking a look and clapping and, you know, kind of like putting their hands up in the air and showing us love, even though it was something maybe they weren't used to, it was something new. Um, it made me feel like, you know what, there there's some people out here that really respect other people's culture and point of view. Um, and it made me feel really safe to be on the streets of LA kind of doing something that we usually do in the country of origin. So my matraca goes to folks out there who live every day with an open mind and kind of share love with customs and communities that maybe they're not used to. All right, so let me share my matraca. My matraca goes to the show Love on the Spectrum on Netflix. I love this show so much. You all need to watch it. And if you're not familiar with it, it is a, they call it a reality show, but to me, it's more like a documentary, a documentary style dating show with people that are on the autism spectrum that are interested in finding love. And it, it's great because every season they sort of bring a couple of, uh, of the cast members from the previous season back. So you kind of get to continue the story and, and revisit with them. So in this season, if you're a fan and you watch the last season, you do see a couple that is continuing on their relationship. And the way this season ended is just gorgeous, gorgeous, beautiful moment that this couple shares. So they are amazing to to watch. And then there's also a Latina, Danny Bowen, who is um, she's mixed race, but she's also Latina. She she lives with her Latina aunt, and I love seeing her again. Um, and also amazing um, to see her be so comfortable, also in her skin, and be so determined to enter an adult sexual relationship. I think that viewers can take notes from Danny. It is just such a spectacular show. You all got to watch it right away. Yeah, what a beautiful way to really strip down this idea of love and and connection. You know, I love watching it because it it reminds me like of some of the beautiful moments that I've been able to experience, but also watching love around me, like with my family and with people that I know that are close. It's just such a beautiful representation of love. So yes, I second that. Amazing show. You all got to watch it. Okay. So what goes in La Basura? What are you done with? Let me... Oh my, I am... Can I just say, I, I'm going to have to restrain myself on this one because I'll go into a rant, <laughs> but I just want to say Basura to this idea that we're just going to ignore that the pandemic happened and have and expect everybody to go back to work, business as usual, high levels of productivity endlessly. Um, I think that there's some kind of communal uh, burnout that's happening that you can see across people at different levels, across folks of different age groups. There's just this clear, at least I'm experiencing, I know lots of people are, this sense that something big has happened and our our ability to work at the scale that we were working um, with the conditions that we were working in is just not the same anymore. And a lot of people have come into that awareness. So I, I feel that we're overdue for a little bit of a, of a labor movement. <laughs> we are overdue. Um, and I, I just want to say, you know, massive basura to this notion that we should just get back to work and kind of suck it up. Because I don't think that's realistic for human beings. So, y tú, Brenda, ¿qué piensas? Well, d uh, double down on that. That is absolutely the, the case that that needs to go in la basura and that we should never aspire to go back to the way things were. We should aspire to rebuild 
different as as uh, as cliche as that phrase has become we need to rebuild better we truly need to and if, if it means completely dismantling the way things are were and are to something better then that's what it means and i know it, it, it will take a long time but i am inspired by seeing a lot of um, unions organizing in 2023 i hope to see more of that and Again, another plug that some more of that's only possible with union friendly policies and leadership. So another thing to keep in mind as y'all consider what you're going to do in 2024. Well, let me tell you what my my basura is. Um, it's just I'm so sick of this. This I'm sure I put this in the basura before, but we, we just need to keep it there. Just misogynist jokes. Misogynist jokes are so like uninventive it's so lack of creativity it just is like you it, it shows you that you are your comedy is completely weak and what inspired me to think of this is that yesterday i went to the magic castle have you heard about the magic castle before <laughs> yes i've been there it was my first time my first time at the magic castle so for listeners that might not be familiar the magic castle is this beautiful building on um, top of a hill in the middle of hollywood that it's been around for for decades and it is a fine dining experience and inside there's multiple rooms in which there is magic now i was have been delighted and excited to go to the magic castle for a while until until i stumbled upon a, a four, of course a four part pod, four part podcast series about the the racist and misogynist history of not only the magic castle but just sort of magic in general which is of course not surprising because when you look when you look underneath everything's got misogyny and racism beneath it so I, I maybe came into going to the castle a little bit extra on alert for that. And I did notice that all, all the magicians were, were men. Only one of them was a, a young man of color, but they were all white men. But I also noticed that a lot of the comedy had this like undertone of misogyny. And I just think that that shit needs to go in la basura. So that's all. <laughs> I, I think uh, creativity and joke writing um, is definitely something that we're aiming for, in, especially in a city like Los Angeles, that where comedy is evolving and growing and it's getting more and more interesting by the day. I think that uh, misogynistic jokes, definitely we've had. We've had it. <laughs> Let's yeah, move on. on. Try harder. Try harder. All right. To like kind of counter the basura feelings, what is your source of inspiración and conexión? What is that? What what has brought that to you this week? Okay, so this week I watched uh, Gabi Moreno and Oscar Isaac performing Luna de Shalalu, I think Shalalu, and I I have to say I was blown away by that because for one, you know these two. Uh, people who represent Guatemalan community on on the major screen. It's something that we're not used to seeing. So I was really amazed by the representation, but also I was so struck by risk-taking with somebody like Oscar Isaac, who has really made a name for himself in, in the world of acting. Um, and to see him take such a risk and coming out and performing and singing and in a musical space I was like, wow, this is so inspiring. It makes me want to take bigger risks creatively. So yes, I loved it. And I felt very, very conectada. Oh my gosh. I would like to be conectada to Oscar Isaac. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, yeah. What a, what a talented person because he's got so much range in his characters and then also music. Que no hace? Que no hace? <laughs> Well, my uh, source of, of inspiration and connection is El Sereno Grocers. This is a, um, a LGBTQ woman-owned little mercadito in El Sereno. And it is just such a, it's tiny, but it, it gives you such a sense of community. It is adorable. What we do is like uh, twice a week on Wednesdays and on Saturdays, they have um, freshly baked sourdough loaves. And so we get it and it's like such a treat to get this loaf of bread. And I, I just like being able to feel so connected to the owners of this grocery store. It's 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 community. They are always doing really great things to foster more community. So for instance, they're um, having a gathering where community members can write cards to their elected officials about 
calling for a ceasefire in Gaza. I mean, th this is an example of going like beyond what you're, you know, you're just a grocery store, but you're going beyond and you're extending who you are to the community. And I really feel a sense of community when I go there. So that that is what is giving me inspiration. Yes, I love it. I love that idea of, of thinking like, how can I do more and how can I make a huge impact with what I have? And in, in this grocery store is already nourishing a community and doing more. That's awesome. Yes. All right. Well, we have come to the end of this episode. It has been such a joy. It always is to come here and be in your ears, listeners. And if you are liking what you're hearing, the best thing that you could do is you can write us an Apple podcast review. If you don't feel like writing, even just rating us five stars is very helpful or, or rate us and review us on whatever platform you're listening on right now. The other thing you could do that doesn't cost a dime is share an episode that you love with a friend or contact us. You can email us at contact at tamarindopodcast.com if you want to explore partnership opportunities, if you've got a great idea for a topic, if you've got any questions or feedback, we really appreciate that. And, and thank you, everybody that does reach out. And of course, follow us on all the socials. You could go to our website, tamarindopodcast.com, and you can see all of the places where we have social accounts and you can follow us. And we just hope to hear from you all soon. Take care, everyone. All right, y'all. Ponte un suéter. Ciao. Y saludos a la familia. Tamarindo Podcast is Brenda Gonzalez and Delcy Sandoval. We are also the show's executive producers. Karina Riverall of Sonoro Media provides production support. Jeff Ricards wrote our theme song. The best way to support our work is to rate and review Tamarindo Podcast or share an episode with a friend. Get in touch with us at tamarindopodcast.com. Are you ready to turn your best ideas into a thriving online business? Introducing Shopify, your no excuses business partner. You might not realize, but our podcast, More Than Mammies, it's a business. And we started it, of course, to talk about maternity, not to become an e-commerce expert. So yeah, we needed some help selling our merch and getting our store up and running. Another sale. Shopify is a commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. No matter if you are a garage entrepreneur or a big business, Shopify is the only tool you need to start and grow your business without the struggle. With Shopify single dashboard, you can manage orders, shipping, and payments from anywhere, giving you the insights you need wherever you are. Sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash sonoro or lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash sonoro to take your business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash sonoro.